Settling my scope on the hole in the brush where the buck stood, I could clearly see his incredible Boone and Crockett frame with more points than I could count within a few seconds. I had to make the shot. I steadied the crosshairs and touched the trigger on my old Seiko 7 mag. The heavy snow muffled my shot. I quickly chambered a second round and settled back on the buck. He was absolutely motionless, still standing but now staring toward me. I took a short breath, touched the trigger, and then settled again. He was gone. The Rockcast is powered by Onyx Hunt, and for good reason. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app in the industry. Stay tuned for a Rockcast promo code. Good morning, Rock Sliders. Robbie Denning here. Back to the Rockcast. Flying solo this morning. It's just me. Um, spring has sprung here in the West. Man, it feels good too. Been a long time coming. It's May 3rd today. Uh, this podcast should be out about the 8th, but uh, back on May 1st, just a couple days ago, some of the shed closure areas opened up in the West, and I was able to hit one of them. And uh, this is an area known for winter kill, and I really wanted to see what was out there, what had made it through, what had not made it through. Always a bonus to pick up some sheds, but shed hunting is pretty competitive in these areas that have these closures. Um, I'm all for closures, especially in these really sensitive areas, because uh, it allows the deer to get off their winter range, at least spread out a little bit before you put a lot of pressure in there. And I think it worked. Uh, the winter range I visited still had a lot of snow, but the deer were very scattered, uh, lower to high elevation, lots of elbow room for them compared to like even a month ago. But uh, what I found is uh, I saw, I was there from uh, oh, about sunrise till one o'clock in the afternoon, um, took the horse with me and then uh, hiked too. I kept my Onyx on, my tracker on. And so I did eight miles. And in that eight miles, I found 25 dead deer, uh, some of them uh, adults. Um, I didn't classify any bucks. Uh, some of them are pretty scattered by now, so it's hard to find the head and see if they have pedicles on them or not. Uh, but there was a surprising number of adults, um, obviously fawns, um, all in different conditions. Uh, when I found them, some entire bodies have not even been touched by a predator, uh, probably died in the last couple of weeks. A lot of deer that make it through the winter, unfortunately die as their diet switches over from the woody browse that they've lived on in the winter to the spring grasses. And that can just be really hard on their digestive system. I don't understand it much more than that, but, uh, but sure enough, you know, pretty, pretty healthy looking deer dead on the landscape. Um, you know, healthy to my eye. I, I imagine if you cut open their back leg and broke a femur, you, that would tell a different story. That's what biologists do. They can tell by the bone marrow health, uh, how the deer died. But, uh, anyways, that's what I saw, um, in 2016, I had been, excuse me, 17 after that hard winter, I had visited that winter range. I didn't quite cover the mileage. I think I got in three miles that day and I had only found maybe just a handful of deer, maybe five. Um, you know, if I would have doubled that mileage and then half again to get to eight miles, I probably still would not have come up with the number of dead deer that I did in this trip. Uh, very unscientific way to measure it, but you know, my own eyeballs on the landscape, definitely a lot of dead deer out there. But the bright side is a lot of live deer. Um, I saw probably well over a hundred deer that, that day. And you know, the ones that made it through, you know, some of these deer I'm, I'm able to observe through optics or I saw them at very close range looking pretty good. Uh, you know, it's, it's early May. Usually the, uh, the, the, the death curve starts to flatten out. We're not losing so many. So I'm, I'm assuming most of these deer that I saw will, uh, probably make it now. So, as we've talked about the last couple months on the rock cast, you know, hard winters come and go. It's just, it's just part of it. And, uh, there's not much we can do about it. Um, it, as far as the weather goes, I do see the states are trimming back hunts. I got an email this morning from a good friend that really tracks what Idaho fishing game is doing. And they've dropped 
a lot of their antlerless hunts, maybe even all of them, although don't quote me on that, um, east of I-15, uh, some of the hardest hits areas, and uh, and good for them. Um, if you read any of my books, I'm, I'm all for antlerless harvest when we can have it. And there's a couple reasons for that. Uh, balancing the deer with the carrying capacity of the land, that's huge, especially on these hard winters. You can't have deer way, way over objective and then not pay the piper when you go into these hard winters. Some states call that stockpiling deer. And uh, you save up a whole bunch of deer, but the winter comes in and wipes them out. And there's some evidence out there that it takes the deer population even lower than what it would have been had they not been above carrying capacity. So when, when deer are at or over objective, I'm, I'm all for some antlerless hunting. The other thing it does, a lot of people don't really think about, is it takes the pressure off of bucks. If you think that bucks only hunting season structures are going to lead to more bucks on the landscape, man, you need to check your reasoning. Bucks only hunting means we're only shooting bucks. That focuses all the pressure on the segment of the herd that, you know, a lot of us that follow this podcast are interested in. And that's been a a common management strategy for probably three or four decades. But prior to that, there was a lot of antlerless hunting. Of course, the deer herds were bigger then, and we could talk about that on another podcast. But when you focus all the pressure on the bucks, don't expect more bucks, all right? I, I talk to people all the time that falsely throw things out like, oh, you can't shoot the mamas, there, you know, there won't be any babies. And uh, it's not quite that simple when your deer herd is at or above objective. You know, when there, when there's too many deer on the landscape, we, we pay the price in different ways. So that's why I support antlerless hunting when we can do it. I want to be clear about this, when we can do it. We can't always do it. In fact, we're, we're heading into a few years here now where, no, should not be doing it. Uh, the deer took a great big hit. They are going to be below carrying capacity on many of these winter ranges in Utah, Idaho, Wyoming, uh, Northwest Colorado, uh, that's the time to trim back the antlerless hunts. But back to the bucks only structure, when antlerless hunts are available, especially if hunters can only have one tag, they can't get a buck tag and a doe tag. I'm talking about when you can just get one tag and it's hunter's choice, either sex, that takes the pressure off a lot of bucks. Yes, everybody starts opening morning with, oh, I want a great big old buck. And, you know, that's what I'm going to hunt for. And, you know, about 9.30 a.m., all they've seen are pumpkins. And they're thinking, wow, there's a lot of guys out here. I don't know if I'm going to get one. And, you know, a nice fat yearling doe shows up 150 yards away. That's going to take a lot of those guys out of the hunt for the season. That move that pressure from a buck getting killed to a doe and um, that can grow more bucks. I know that's hard to wrap your mind around, but it it really can. Now, that's a little bit simplistic the way I'm presenting it. There's a lot of other things that go into it, but, but I just wanted to put that out there before I celebrate that they've trimmed back these antlerless hunts because I, I don't want to, I don't want to ever be painted in a corner that, oh, we should never hunt the does. No, that's not true. Um, and so uh, there, there's a case for it right there when there are plenty of deer on the landscape and you're putting some pressure on the does and hunters can only get one tag. They can't have two because then they'll shoot a buck and a doe. It doesn't take any pressure off of the bucks. Then um, that, that can lead to greater survivability of bucks when they can only shoot one, one animal and they choose to shoot a doe. But that email my friend sent me this morning looks like they, they've trimmed back um, all the antlerless hunts uh, east of I-15. Um, and they've actually closed them. And, 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 and as I said, that's a good thing. But unfortunately, sometimes when, when we do this knee-jerk stuff, and I'm not saying this, this fish and game is knee-jerking, they're kind of responding to what the public wants, um, is when we completely close hunts, sometimes it's very hard to get them back. And, and, and let me give you an example. Some of these hunts that they're closing are not antlerless only hunts. They're either sex hunts, meaning you can, it's hunter's choice. You can, you can shoot either. And so because of the hard winter, they're just canceling the hunt so no one can shoot those does. And I get it. But in the last 10 years, I've seen hunts go away for various reasons, um, especially after the 16-17 winter. I saw a few of those either sex hunts go away. They never come back. That's the problem. When you close a hunt, there's a there's a chance it may never come back, even if the deer herd recovers. And there's various reasons for that. Uh, you know, fish and game 
uh, commissioners, you know, maybe looking out three or four years thinking, well, we'll open this back up when the deer herd recovers. That's great. But then you get a new fish and game commission. You know, these are, every state's different, but they're typically appointed by the governor at some level. Um, and you get new commissioners in, well, they may have totally forgot about that hunt and they don't, they, they, or they're against it for, for whatever reason. And so then it never gets back open. And so what I like to see when, when we're talking about playing with these these hunts and reducing antlerless harvest is just take the hunts to a very low tag level. You know, if there's 40 tags in this hunt, take it down to five. And, uh, you know, uh, that that's going to take the pressure off the deer. Then the hunt code is still in the regulations and it's an option to bring back if the deer herd recovers. That's just my two cents on it. It's always it's always more complicated than, than one scenario that I give. But uh, I just know one thing. When I hear people talking about closing the deer seasons, Ah, there's just always a little red flag in my mind of, man, what if we never get them back open? So we'll leave it at that. Um, let's talk about some other things here. We got a, a film release coming up. Uh, Travis, Natural Born Hunter, uh, was on the podcast back in March, oh, several times and April, helped me get the Rockcast launched. Uh, uh, if you're liking the Rockcast, a lot of people have reached out. I've got a you know half a dozen messages over the last month. Uh, I sure appreciate that. If you're liking it, thank Travis because he was the one that really pushed me to do it. Um, you know, I'm I'm the editor at Rockslide. I work with Justin Crossley to bring all our published content to life. Um, I'm a moderator on the forum. Um, I'm you know I, I I'm a sponsor coordinator for Rockslide. You know, I'm I'm busy all the time. And if you're wondering what Ryan Avery does, oh, he's IT. He's just as busy as I am. In fact, you know he. He gets stuff handed to him on his on a on a silver platter in the middle of the night. Hey, fix this. The site's down, or hey, we got a we got a hack, or we got a Russian bot in there. You know, he has to do all that stuff. So between the two of us, uh, we just weren't sure if we could take it on, and you know, we were looking for another host. We talked about this in an earlier podcast, but it really was Travis Hobbs that kept pushing us. Like, hey, you know, you guys really need to have this back up. You know, he was a big follower. He'd been on the podcast a lot with Jordan. Him and Jordan are good friends. And then after we lost Jordan, you know, we looked for that perfect host. We just couldn't find it. But Travis, you know, convinced us, hey, you guys are the perfect host. Just just keep it going. Um, as you've seen, uh, Sam Weaver, one of our moderators on Rockslide, he stepped up to do our Tipsy Tuesdays. That's the, uh, another person to thank. That really helped bring Rockslide back to life, or excuse me, Rockcast back to life. Uh, we appreciate that. Uh, tune in every other Tuesday. Sam will cover News of the West, hot topics on the forum, uh, all the things that, that you might miss if you're not on Rockslide every day. But back to the film. So Breaking the Slump. Travis and I teased that out on an earlier podcast, and Breaking the Slump is the film that we're about to release on May 17th. That covers my hunting and uh, some of Travis's hunting over the last three years, and it's called Breaking the Slump because... It picks up with the last chapter of my book that I released last year. If you go to the very last chapter of Hunting Big Mule Deer, the stories, you'll see the last chapter has a, a, a story in there, and it's called The Slump. And it details everything that just kind of went awry for me and Travis starting in 2020. 2020 was a bad year for the world, and man, it was a bad year in deer hunting for me. Uh, I had enjoyed, you know, 20 years of pretty um, successful deer hunts. Um, my shot average was really good, well over 90%. Um, but when we got into 2020, it just kind of all fell apart. And that's just big mule deer hunting. You know, I've gone through the kind of little mini slumps before. You know, I've gone a year year without filling a tag, but never two years. And my goodness, I just about went three. Um, back in 97 through 99, I had a, a kind of a little slump then too. I didn't fill any tags those years. But, you know, I was a pretty wet behind the ears deer hunter then. You know, I'd been hunting pretty hard for big mule deer for about 10 years then, but, you know, still easy to make a lot of mistakes then. Not surprising I went through that slump then, but then to have, you know, over a 20-year run with only missing 
maybe one tag, two tags in that time as far as a year goes, you get cocky and, and God brings this stuff into your life to, 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 to make you humble again. And so that's really what Breaking the Slump was about. And uh, so this film uh, uh, follows me and Travis, as I said, and um, over the three years of 2020, 2021, and 2022. And um, during that time, Jordan Budd, who actually edited the fi- edited the film she she operates running water media she can film hunts she's very good at it got a long history of it she used to film for best of the west and uh, just brings a great skill set well ba- back in 2019 i just started hiring her as a professional videographer to follow me around in the woods and between 2019 and 2021 to me 22 uh, she spent 15 days behind me in the woods with a with a camera and, and I should have known that we probably would not get a buck on any of those hunts. And why do I say that? Well, that's about 15 days of filming. And as I've talked about in some of my articles in my first book, it takes me roughly 30 plus days of, of, of open season to fill a mule deer tag. Doesn't matter if that 30 days all occurs, uh, uh, occurs in one year or over the course of two or three, it takes about that many hunting days for me to fill a tag, at least, at least. So poor Jordan followed me around all that time. And we never did take a buck in any of those films. And, uh, you know, she did her part. I just didn't do mine and it, it just never came together. So, she can't be there for every hunt. You know, I hunt 30 to 45 days a year. And so I'm always film my other hunts too. Just self film, you know, turn on the iPhone, you know, turn it around, shine it up my ugly nose and, you know, talk into the camera, tell people what I'm doing, you know, get some, get some phone scope or mag view video of, of bucks I'm looking at, you know, talk about the hunt. I've, I've been doing that stuff since 2008. I got, so many hours of video crammed away that I've never published that just cause it kind of doesn't really lead anywhere. You know, you, you, you have to film every hunt, but you never know what the outcome is going to be. And, you know, I, I'd imagine a great storyteller could, could make something out of, out of anything, but, you know, I'm always looking to kind of put that period at the end of the sentence, Hey, we did get a buck and this is how it came together. And, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's just what we want to do. And so, all those, all those years of Jordan following me around, not getting a buck on film, I kept doing my own self-filming. And I'm glad I did because when I finally break the slump, and you're you're going to see what happens in, in, in this film that's coming out on May 17th, um, all I really had was all this self-filmed video that I had done over the years, over the three seasons, basically, to try and tell the story from where it left off in my in my book uh in the in the story the slump to last november when when i finally broke the slump and uh so it took basically December, January, February to scrape together all, all the video. And it's on like two or three different cameras, you know, two phones and a, and a Sony camcorder, you know, I had to go through all of that stuff. Jordan's busy. You know, she lives, she, she lives in Boise. I live in Eastern Idaho. I live in a little town called Iona. And, uh, you know, so I can't just sit at a desk with her and show her what I got and have her go through it. You know, I got to go through it. I need to pre-edit it a little bit and, and send it to her, uh, Dropbox it. She takes a look at it gives me her feedback and, and and hey you're missing this or this doesn't quite make sense so then I'm back to the cameras looking for something else to fill in that gap well that went on for three months and we finally assembled enough together that it it told a coherent story and um, she got she got that done oh early April for me. And, um, you know, keep in mind, you know, I'm working my regular job. I run a big crew of personal trainers for a big health club here in Idaho Falls. And, you know, I'm trying to do that. Uh, Jordan also works on a ranch in Nebraska, the family ranch. They're calving, you know, that calving starts in, you know, February, runs runs through March. So she was busy and all that time. It just took a long time is what I'm getting at. You know, if, if, if we could have just sat down and focused on this, yeah, we probably could have knocked it out in a couple of weeks, but just not how it is when, when, when you're trying to make a living. So uh, she got that to me in in mid April. Um, it it needed some more polishing on my end. Just just a few things. I got that all done. 
We got the trailer all done. You got to have a trailer. Now, I don't know why they call them trailers because to me they're 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 the truck. They're 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 what drives the film. They're at the beginning. You know, you put the trailer out before the film comes out. And so um, I always like to have a trailer for my films. Uh, give give people a couple of weeks to kind of think about it, you know, get them to the premiere. Let me tell you what I mean by a premiere. A premiere is is a YouTube term. YouTube uh, you can just publish a video on YouTube and make it live right when you publish it. Um, you know, just like a normal video or you can have a premiere. A premiere is when you upload the video to YouTube um, and then you set a date for it to go live and and what you're trying to do is, you know, get 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 people to find the video, subscribe to the channel so that they get the notification when it goes live and this one's going to go live on May 17th at 6:30 p.m. I'll give that information again at the end of the podcast and um you you just kind of get more people to your film and it actually helps your film a little bit you know i think it helps the algorithm, you know, gets it out there so more people can see it. And, you know, obviously we do these films because we want people to watch them. And, you know, particularly I do my films to to teach people about hunting big mule deer. That's been my passion since I was, you know, 19, 20 years old was to 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 help people hunt big mule deer. And 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 that passion was ignited by by a previous generation that helped me hunt big mule deer. So that's what a premiere is all about is to get people to the film. Um, and we've we've done a lot of them with Rock Slide. We just did Tony Treach's um, elk film. Uh, we released that here just a few weeks ago, did the same thing, um, got a lot of people out to it. And the other thing about a premiere is y- you can chat with people in real time on the premiere versus a regular video. You know, a person, you know, posts a comment on the video, maybe they ask a question, um, Except for if they ask which unit, we just delete those, haha. Uh, you know, but maybe they're asking something about the film or, you know, your weapon or why this or whatever. And, you know, they post the comment and then they wait for you to come back to it. You know, sometimes you never see it. It gets buried with all your videos. But in a premiere, the you can see the comments come up live and you can answer them live. And, you know, you can't you can't like write a book in a comment, but, you know, just just people in their chat. And it just kind of brings a it's like going to a movie together is, is really what it is. And um, uh, so there are a lot of fun. And so, uh, so that's what we're in right now is the premiere mode. If you go to the rock slide YouTube channel, remember rock slides, R O K S L I D E spelled the cool way. No C rock slide. Uh, thanks David Long for giving us that name. Um, although for like 10 years, I've had to correct, uh, correct that so many times on, you know, paychecks I've written and letters I've written. And man, I still stick the C in there sometime, but I'm getting better at it. But rock slide, dot com uh, that's our website but our YouTube channel is just rockslide and uh, go on there subscribe to the channel when you subscribe to the channel that means you're going to get notifications as we upload videos and you'll also be able to see it, it depends on if you're on a mobile device or on a PC you should see the trailer okay the, the trailer is just a, a, a condensed one minute version of the film kind of shows the highlights of it you'll see the trailer there and you can't miss it it's a it's it's a, a wall tent, illuminated. It's got two big bucks in front of it. It's, it's a pretty cool picture. Uh, thanks, Natural Born Hunter, for sending that to me. And uh, there, there's, there is the trailer. So you can go watch the trailer right now. It's like a minute, four seconds. You can kind of see the highlights of the film, uh, get a good feel for it. And, um, and then you're also, by subscribing to the channel, you're um, subscribed to the premiere. Um, depending on what device you're on, you might have to look for the word premiere, you know, click on that. Um, we're, we're we're working, we're working on that in the next couple of days. If there's any problems finding it, if you're a Rockslide member, just hit me up on the forum uh, in a PM. I'll direct you to the right place. If you're not a Rockslide member, you're missing out, but that's okay. We like you too. Uh, you can hit me up on Instagram, uh, DM Robbie Denning, or on the Rockslide Instagram, and uh, we'll, we'll try to get you answered there. But we'll get you to the premiere if you want to be there. And so that's what the whole idea of a premiere is. Uh, we all get to watch the film together. Um, and, and then we, we like to give you even more incentive to get to the premiere. So I've worked with just some of the rock slide sponsors and advertisers that we have, and, uh, we've got some pretty cool prizes. Uh, Tony did this with his elk film a couple of weeks ago, uh, and he partnered with Hoyt. Uh, Kafaru, oh goodness, a whole bunch of other ones. I don't have the list in front of me. And uh, Iron Wheel Broadheads and people that attend the premiere, because we can see you commenting, we know who the people are. And so what we do is we match up those comments 
with whoever's a Rockslide member. You have to be a Rockslide member too, not to view the video, but to win any of these prizes. And then we'll do just a random drawing from the people that attended the premiere. And they, guys, these are usually good odds. You know, if you have a good premiere, you know, we get a pretty small channel. You know, we'll get 50 to maybe 150 people at a premiere. So it's pretty good odds, you know, if there's four or five prizes in there. You know, better than trying to draw a mule deer tag, put it that way. But uh, right now I have locked up uh, from Kafaru their new bino harness. They just released this spring. We're actually reviewing that on Rockslide as well. Uh, but we, we, we've got one that we're going to uh, send out to someone that attends the premiere. You also have to be a Rockslide member. So when you comment during the premiere, that's what enters you into it. Let us know what your Rockslide screen name is. Uh, most of the time, it's not the same as your YouTube name. You know, you might be Hunt777 on Rockslide and, you know, maybe you're the, the married man on YouTube. Who knows? But you got to let us know what your Rockslide screen name is. And, and, and that's where the prizes are going to go to. So we're going to have that Kafaru bino harness. I've also got a three pack of iron wheel broadheads and you can choose anything. You know, they're solids, they're wides, they're vented. That's what I shoot uh, when I'm shooting a fixed blade is they're vented. Uh, one, one, of the, one of the best flying broadheads out there, uh, very durable. I've shot um, iron wheel on and off since they, they, they came out. They're, they're a really good broadhead. Uh, I'm able to get them to tune with my field points. Um, you'll love them. And, but the downside... Sorry, Iron Wheel. Expensive. Oh my gosh, they're like double of any other broadhead that's out there. Well, they just threw in a three pack. And so you'll, you'll get a choose of any of those broadheads. Maybe you're already shooting Iron Wheel. Well, we're going to increase your inventory. If you're not shooting Iron Wheel, this will give you a chance to, to try them and see what everybody's talking about. So I've got those guys. Um, I've got um, Seek Outside. They have a new tent coming out. Not quite able to tell you what it is just yet, um, but we're going to know before the premiere. But they're putting up a, a Seek Outside tent that will go to one lucky rock slider. And so we want to have uh, we want to have as many people there as we can. Someone's going to win a really good tent. Uh, Seek Outside, we worked with those guys for a long time. I run their eight-man teepee, uh, solid teepee. I've had it since... 2014. In fact, on that same YouTube channel, if you go back, I can't remember the keywords for it. If you type in something like five-year review, seek outside, um, I actually did a review after five years on the tent. Now think about it. Most reviews, including ours, you know, you're doing it when the product's new. You don't really have a chance to test long-term durability. Well, I tested that seek outside eight-man TP when it came out in 2014. Well, five years later, I'm still using it. I'm thinking this thing has so many days on it and no failures. I've burned a couple holes in it because I'm too lazy to put the spark arrestor on. Um, you know, when it's snowing, I just don't even think about a spark arrestor. And, uh, but man, I haven't had any zipper failures, uh, no guy line failures. It's just been a good tent. So I did a review in 2019 after using it for five years. And you know what, here it is, 2023. I'm still using it. It's still, it's still rolling. So when you look at those big teepees, you're like, man, those are expensive. Yeah. But if you divide that out by how many years of service you're going to get out of them. Um, you're going to be staying in a, you know, high-end shelter, lightweight, um, and not really paying a lot of money per year. So we're going to have a tent in there. It won't be the TP. It's going to be one of their new, new, uh, lightweight tents that are coming out. So, so watch for that. Um, we'll, we, we have a thread going on the rock slide mule deer forum about this film. That's where I'm posting the prizes. I hope to have more prizes, uh, in the next week or two, I'll be adding them to that thread that is in the Mule Deer Forum on rockslide.com forward slash forums. Go down to the sub forum Mule Deer, click on it, look at the top. Um, there's, there's a sticky there. That means we stick the thread to the top of the forum. Look for Breaking the Slump, um, and you can see the prizes there. And you can chat a little bit about, about the trailer there. There's guys on there chatting about it right now. So that's what's going on so far. Uh, I think this podcast comes out on May 8th. Uh, you're going to have uh, almost 10 days to subscribe to the Rockslide YouTube channel so that you can a, go on there and watch the trailer. Make sure that you want to, you actually want to be there for the full film. By the way, the full film's about 28 minutes. Uh, the trailer's one minute. Go on there, watch the trailer. If, if you're like, hey, I'm game. I want to be there for this. Sign up for the premiere. And uh, then we will see you on Wednesday, May 17th at 6.30 p.m. Mountain Time. Now, let me tell you, tell you why I chose 6.30 p.m. Mountain Time, okay? My, my, my hunting brothers that are on the East Coast, that's 
still early enough that you can watch a half hour film before you go to, got to go to bed. One thing I've learned about hunters in the hunting world, they go to bed early. You know, I got a lot of friends, man, they go to bed at 8.30, 9 o'clock, 9.30. A lot of them because they're just hardworking dudes. You know, we got we, we all work hard for our families so that we can have a hunting lifestyle. And um, and, and so that means, you know, we're, we're working jobs, typically jobs that start early in the morning. Um, you know, I was up at 6 this morning getting this podcast ready. All my hunting brothers are doing something. You know, they, they, they might be putting on rain guttery. They might be building a house. They might be working in a machine shop. You know, they might be working in IT somewhere. But, you know, these guys are not just laying around watching films. And so I thought, let's run it at 6.30 Mountain Time. That makes it early enough for the guys on the East Coast that, you know, they're, 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 they'll be done by 9. We can get you guys to bed, okay? Um, that would be 7.30 for my my hunting brothers that are in the Central Time Zone. Uh, 6.30 for, for Mountain Time. Uh, that's where the film originates, so we get to pick the best time. I feel like 6.30 is a, a good time to start uh, watching a film because I'm not so tired that I fall asleep. Um, and, and it's not so early that I got to rush home from work to get to it. And then for my, my brothers that are in Cali, that are, that are on the Pacific time zone, you know, Washington, Oregon, you know, Northern Idaho, California, you just got to get home by 530. All right. You, you can make it, you know, but you know, pull out a little bit early. I don't know. Slip in the bathroom, open your phone. You can watch it. Uh, it, 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 it's, it's filmed in horizontal, most of it. Some of it's vertical because like I said, it was so, so much self-filming. You'll see these awkward vertical shots, but you know, it's filmed horizontal just just go hide somewhere flip your phone on you can watch the whole film I, I when I proof the film I watched it on an iPhone 14 it shows up just fine now you know I, I would encourage people watch it on a smart TV watch it on a high resolution TV you know uh, uh, it's not filmed in 4k you're gonna you know some of it's a little bit hazy a little bit blurry you can tell it's self-filmed you can you can tell that it was not shot with a high-end camera like what Jordan runs but hey it's free. So send the complaints to Ryan Avery, um, you know, who really had nothing to do with it at all other than providing rock slide. If there's any complaints, blow up his inbox. But watch it on a big TV. Uh, the, the last proof I did on it the other night, I, I, I got my wife in there. And man, if you can impress her with a hunting film, because she's not a hunter, then you've done something. And she said, it it's it's really good. She said, even the, the, the color and the resolution is really good for the products that I filmed it on. Uh, so, so try to watch it on the big screen if you can. That will be Wednesday, May 17th, 6.30 p.m. Mountain Time. Um, let's see, what else have we got here? Uh, Oh, what the, the Travis and I had actually done another film a couple years ago. It was called Hunting Big Mule Deer with Robbie and Travis. That kind of has like a ring of, you know, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure or, um, oh, who's the Dumb and Dumber guys? Lloyd and Harry. It, it, it's got a little bit of that feel. It really does. If you've been around Travis, you'll know what I mean. Sorry, buddy. Uh, but anyways, we did that film in 2020. And there's a segment of that film where the slump starts. It's when I miss that big buck at the very end of the film. So you're going to recognize some of this footage in Breaking the Slump because Breaking the Slump opens with that scene because that's really where the slump started was when I missed that buck. Um, and when I wrote the ver my very first book, Honey Big Mule Deer, How to Take the Best Buck of Your Life, I actually went back and did the math because it was like a little subchapter in the book on what, what my lethal shot average was. And I didn't look it up this morning, but I remember it was well over 90%. And I think that was on about 20 tags. So, you know, I had only missed like two bucks out of, out of 20 in that time. Okay. Now I'm not patting myself on the back. I mean, that's just what the math said. You know, I mean, there's probably hunters out there that wouldn't have missed any, but I, you know, I felt pretty good about that because shooting at big mule deer is always high stress situations. At least it is for me. If you can't tell, I got ADD on the brain, man. Diagnosed ADD. Uh, have been since third grade. I mean, when I was in third grade, they didn't call it ADD then. They called it hyperactivity. You know, I was the third grader that everybody was out at recess. I'm in the counselor's office with wires hooked up to me. You know, they're playing uh, yoga music in my ear. Oh, oh, you know, calm, calm. And eh, it didn't really work, but it got me through school. And, um, you know, as I've gotten older, you know, I've worked with counselors on, on, on different levels. The Bible says there's wisdom in many counselors. So, hey, man, 
man, if you if you get into a rough spot in your life, don't don't, don't be ashamed to go talk to your pastor or a professional counselor or anything like that. But man, everyone I've been to, you know, after the first or second session, they're like, "You got a little ADD going on?" I'm like, "Yeah, I pretty much do." Hey, look, there goes a squirrel. I'm one of those guys. And so for me to have a 90% shot average for over 20 tags, I was pretty happy with that cuz you know, I do get a little bit stressed out when when the shot comes. You know, I'm not the calmest guy. You know, I'm not Joel Turner of Shot IQ. Uh saw him at the the Western Hunting Summit a couple of years ago. He's got some good science on on calming yourself for the shot, getting over uh, uh target panic, you know, jerking the trigger. I, I probably should go take his class, but but from 2000, well, up to 2014, I had a 90% shot average. Um, I didn't calculate it after that, but, you know, I was staying right in there. Most of the deer I was shooting at, I was killing. Well, back to that hunting big mule deer with Robbie and Travis film. Yeah, I missed that buck at the end of the film. 120 yards, 130. And, uh, you know, I didn't have a real good shot. I was shooting in between two burnt trees. You can see that in the film and everything. And, you know, I wasn't too shamed about it, but I didn't realize this one was going to set me off on a string of missed shots at big mule deer. And, and, and that's really what the whole breaking the slump thing was about. But I wanted to let you know that that scene is carried over from that first film, just in case you watch that film and you think I'm just recycling it into this film. Nope. It just, it just starts the story right there. And for those of you that read the, the slump in my last book, same, same scene, same scene I'm talking about that the slump opens up with that story. Okay. So hopefully I've, I've given you enough info to know, uh, what the film's about, go watch the trailer again. And, um, I hope to see you at the premiere. The rock cast is powered by Onyx hunt and for good reason. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app in the industry. It's the exclusive app of many of the Rockslide staff, including myself. Some of the features of the Onyx Hunt app are nationwide public and private land boundaries, topographic and 3D maps, track your route, location, and elevation profile, waypoints, lines, and area shapes, save maps for offline use, and create custom map layers. While many of the competitors have similar features, I find one of the biggest benefits in using the Onyx Hunt app is that my friends have it. Nothing more painful than trying to share a waypoint with someone who doesn't have the app. Another thing I've noticed with Onyx, it's pretty much glitch-free. Once you learn how to use the app, you will experience very few, if any, glitches in the app. We find on the Rockslide Forum, the guys that are having glitches with Onyx or any of the apps, they just don't know how to use it. Once you learn how to use Onyx, it will be there for you. Some of the member benefits you get with being with Onyx are top rut draw odds. They just added that in 2023. Top rut provides some of the most comprehensive draw odds information in the industry. Onyx is also offering constant upgrades like track trim. When they released that last summer, it really cleaned up my app because I was the guy that would go back to camp with my app on and walk around camp for two hours. And then when I would notice my track, it had these big scribble lines in it. Now you can trim that off. They're constantly offering similar upgrades. So if you're ready to make the jump, head over to onxmaps.com, use the Rockcast promo code ROCKCAST, R-O-K-C-A-S-T, save yourself 20%. Uh, talking about shooting, Sam has talked about this on our last couple of Tipsy Tuesdays. Right now, we're hosting the Cold Bow Challenge. Um, it's, um, uh, what is it, May 3rd right now. I'm on my fourth arrow. The Cold Bow Challenge is a challenge where you can only shoot one arrow a day over a five-day period. They don't have to be consecutive days. I always shoot mine consecutive just because the whole Cold Bow Challenge thing stresses me out, and I just want to get it over with. you know. But you pick your maximum effective yardage that you that you've been telling your buddies for years that you're you're comfortable at you pick that yardage and um, then you should spend five days shooting it 
with one arrow, no practice before, no warm-up shots, no practice after. You can't practice between days either. You take a photograph or a video. I'm doing video on mine because that adds another level of pressure to it. And uh, then you post that on the Rock Slide Cold Bow Challenge. It's in our archery forum. And 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 you put your money where your mouth is. On okay, I've, I've been saying for years my maximum effective yard is 70 yards. Um, it's in my first book. And but when I really got out and tested it. It's not 70 yards. It's 70 yards on a good day with good conditions, you know, and if, and if I shot 30 arrows the day before, yeah, I can usually get a, a, an arrow into a, into a vital size uh, target at 70 yards, get my first arrow in there. And, and, and this, is a, this is a concept I picked up from Randy Ulmer, Tim Gillingham, you know, some of the best archers in the world. Just listening to him saying over the years, you know, different podcast articles, stuff like that, that it's really only your first arrow that counts. No matter how much shooting, you can shoot thousands of arrows a year. It's your first arrow that counts. That's what's telling you is going to happen on the mountain. And, you know, I learned over the years, especially the style of hunting that I do, is that, you know, you don't get to practice a lot in camp. You know, I'm not a, I'm not usually at a road camp where I can shoot every day. You know, I'm in the backcountry, you know, stump shooting, you know, that used to work when all the bows shot 180 feet a second. You could shoot into an old rotten stump. Now all the bows pushing 300. You know, all our arrows cost 50 bucks by the time you count the broadhead that's on them. Um, even if you don't have a broadhead on it and you're shooting a, a field point, you know, my goodness, an arrow. What does it cost? 20 bucks an arrow? 25 bucks an arrow? And, um, you know, you, you shoot it into a stump and then you walk up there. It's driven so far into the stump you can't get it out or you break it. Um, it's just stump shooting. That's It just doesn't work enough that you can really count on it. So then if you're hunting the back country, you got to pack a target in. And, and I do, I make this little burlap target and, you know, I pack it in, but for whatever reason, a lot of times you don't get to shoot every day. Uh, you know, Chuck Adams said for years, if you can shoot every day during the hunt, that's some of your best practice because we get rusty when we're on the mountain. We, we do, we, and we shoot all summer. Maybe we shoot all winter, uh, but we get rusty on the mountain, even going a day or two without shooting. So that's really what the whole cold bow challenge is about is, well, you know, what's your, what's your maximum yardage when you don't get a practice regularly. So we're doing that right now. So far, I'm not doing too good. Day one, um, I, I, I picked my, my MER uh, 55 yards. That's what I've learned. This the, the cold bow challenge is seven years old now. I learned at about year three that <laughs> 70 yards, that's out the window. That's on my best day. I moved it back to 60. You know, I think last year I shot 60. I hit it four out of five. Uh, this year I moved it to 55 because I just got, I got a brand new bow, a Matthews phase four, which I love, by the way. Uh, the, the most vibration shock-free bow I personally have ever shot. And um, I, I, I got it in March. By the time I got it set up, it was just a few weeks before the cold bow challenge. So I decided to move it back to 55, which I'm shooting a pin gap. You don't get extra credit in the cold bow for shooting a pin gap, but it's highly recommended. Um, if you're shooting um, multi pins, shoot a pin gap because a lot of times that buck is not going to stand at 40 yards, 50 or 60. No, he's going to be at 27, 36, 44, 58. You know, you're, you're, you're going to have to get your pin gap thing down. And uh, so I'm shooting pin gap at 55, which means I need to hold my 50, a vital high. All right. And so I've been shooting this. I always do a practice cold bow before the cold bow opens. Okay. Cause once it opens, it's the Super Bowl. You, once you start shooting, you can't back up. You know, your, your day one is your day one. You can't, you, you don't get a mulligan. And so, um, I had shot, uh, about 60 yards for, I don't know, five or six days. And I was only about 70% at 60 yards. So I moved it up to 55. I shot about four days, I, four days in a row, I hit 55 and I thought, okay, that's going to be my MER for the challenge. The challenge opens. That means I have to use my 50 yard pin, uh, um, a vital high. That means, you know, just take the size of the vital, by the way, I'm shooting at an eight inch by nine inch vital, which is approximately a mule deer vital. I'm shooting at a, ma a matrix target. I got to hold that high above it for my pin gap. Well, I had been doing that, like I said, for days. I go out there on day one and the camera's on. And even though it's an internet shoot, it's the only internet bow shoot that I know of. And there's nobody there. It's just me out in the field, me and God. I still miffed it. Instead of using my 50 a mod high, I used my 60. What was, I didn't go through my shot sequence. ADD, it's a, it's a terrible 
friend. And it showed up right at that moment. So I miffed it and shot high the first day. And yeah, the first thing you think is, "Mm, maybe I just won't post this. (laughs) Well, you got to post it because it's a challenge. It's not a contest. It's a challenge. You're you're personally challenging yourself. So the only way it's going to work is if you're honest with yourself. Okay. And so, yeah, I had to go post it. And, you know, we got, I got some laugh, there's laughy emojis on rock slide too. So I got laughy emojis and all that. Hey, I can take it. I missed, I miffed it. Um, and, uh, I posted mine. I always do the lead post on our cold bow challenge. You know, I mean, I'm kind of the leader of it. So I, you know, I, I put myself out there. Uh, by the way, we had Randy Omer out here a couple of years ago and, um, and he totally passed the cold bow challenge. He hit his vital at every yardage. I think he was shooting 60. Uh, he was the lead post one year. Tony Treach has been the lead post, but I, I'm the lead post this year. So, you know, whatever happens, good or bad, everybody gets to see it first. So I got that on there. We opened at 8 at 8.15 on uh, Saturday, uh, April 29th. Uh, and so by about nine o'clock, that first page was full. And by a page on Rockside, I think there's about 25 posts per page. So we had 25 shooters, you know, within the first hour. And, and I just went through and did just some quick math on the percentage of people that were hitting their MER. Um, and it was about 60%. So roughly 30 to 40% of people were doing what I did. They're miffing it. And that's the cool thing about the cold bow. A lot of people laugh about the cold bow if they haven't done it. They're like, well, how hard can that be? You know, and I mean, people, I mean, they're just gonna, they're just gonna post their best arrow. I mean, isn't that known on the internet? Everybody just posts their best arrow. And it's like, no, no, most guys are pretty honest. We have some killer prizes for the cold bow. Sam talked about that last week. Thousands of dollars of prizes. Best shooter doesn't win. It's if you're honest and you post your arrows, you're entered into a drawing, there's a little bit of advantage for for uh, rock sliders that have been with us for a while. They have a 300 post count. That means they posted at least 300 times on rock, t- rock slide. We double their entries in the hat. Um, you can go and look at all the rules and everything, but that's basically what it is. And so when people hear about it, they think that oh, this is kind of dumb, but I'll tell you what, it it's real pressure. It is real pressure. I, you think it wouldn't be, but it is. When your buddies are watching, it is. It's, it's as much pressure, if not more, than when I go to TAC or any other archery range. You know, even though I've, you know, there's real people there watching. You know, a lot of people aren't really paying attention. They're working on their bow. You know, you're shooting in a small group. Maybe you're just shooting with a buddy. Man, there's just something about, I've got to show the world on Rockslide what I just did. And when it, when you miss, it sucks. So anyways, my first arrow, I miffed it. Second day, nailed it. I mean, went through my shot sequence just like I should have, uh, nailed it. I think I was center of bullseye too. Third day, this is strange. I'm shooting a sever broadhead this year. By the way, you get extra entries for shooting broadheads in the cold bow. You can go read the rules. It's really cool. We double your entries if you're shooting broadheads because that's really what it's about. And back, back when I used to say, oh yeah, I can shoot 70 yards cold bow, well, that was with a fill point. And so, you know, you're just not quite as good with it. Well, I'm I'm with a sever now, which is almost a fill point. Um, although I have been able to get my iron wheels to hit with my fill points. But I decided to go with a sever, just a little bit more forgiving than a um, uh, a fixed fixed blade. Yeah, we can have an argument for five days, but that's that's been my experience. Just a little bit more forgiving. It's not that you can't get uh, something like an iron wheel or a, another high-end broadhead to shoot with your fill points. You can. You can. I've done it for years. You uh, did it with Steve Speck's uh, solids that he sold for years. I think he still does. That's a really good broadhead. Um, did it with uh, the iron wheels. I always got them to hit with my fill points. But what I find is with a with an a, a, a expandable broadhead. And Idaho just legalized them last year. That's why I started shooting them. Um, for years, we couldn't. I find they're just a little bit more forgiving if you don't have the greatest form. You know, you don't get these flyers that you can with a fixed blade if your form's not really good. Now, you take somebody like Bill from Iron Will. He shoots in the cold bow. I can't, I don't know if he got in this year, but every year he's in there, some just amazing MER, 90 yards, 100 yards. You know, he's shooting in a foot of snow. You know, he's... 
he's just launching bombs. And, you know, you get a shooter at that level and man, he's, he's, it's no different than a field point for him. You know, he's got great form. You, you know, I, I don't think he's ever dropped an arrow in the cold bow by dropping an arrow. I mean, you miss the vitals, you know, I drop at least one a year. Uh, so anyways, I, I'm shoot I'm shooting the sever this year and, um, the sever, if you, if you've never been around them, the blades lock back into a practice mode. So you're actually able to shoot your broadhead during practice and the blades won't deploy. Well, for when you lock them back, there's these two little tabs that stick out. Um, deployment tabs is what they are. So that if it wasn't locked down, when you, when you shoot a deer, those deployment uh, tabs hit the hide and they push the other blades open. It's, it's pretty cool, the mechanics of it. It's kind of like a camming action. And uh, that's what pushes the blades open. Well, you lock them down so that you can shoot in your practice mode. Those deployment tabs are not sharp. They're, they're purposely dull. Um, and you know, they, they, they want them to be dull so that when you hit the deer, it opens, you know, if they were sharpened, they, 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 they could actually penetrate the hide and maybe not open as much. And I get it. There's critics out there right now saying that's why they don't like, um, expandable broadheads because you lose some energy on the deployment. They're right. They're right. You do lose some energy. You better be shooting. You better not be shooting a super light arrow if you're shooting ex, um, expandables if you want to make sure you get full deployment. So back to the cold bow, you have to lock those down. And it, it means when you hit the target, you're hitting it with a very dull point, even duller than a field point because of those deployment tabs stick out. And it's not uncommon in fact, it's very common. You don't, you'll go up to pull your sever out of a, like a matrix target. It'll only be in an inch or two. It almost falls out. It's kind of nice. It really, it's, it's, they, they don't get much penetration. Um, uh, I've never shot them at a bag target. You probably don't want to, it's probably going to rip up your bag, but they're, they're great in a matrix. And, uh, but every once in a while, we're talking like every 150 arrows, all of a sudden you'll get an arrow that doesn't penetrate. It just bounces out, um, because that that's what it's designed to do. So my third arrow you can go look at the video on the cold bow, lead post, day three, bounced out of the target. I didn't get to see if it if it hit vital. I don't know what happened. And uh, Sam, dumps uh, our tipsy Tuesday, Sam, uh, we, we reviewed the video and it's just not enough resolution to see if I actually hit the vital. So according to our rules, we have equipment failures. You can restart the challenge. Um, and I worked with Sam on this because, you know, I want to be fair. I'm having to enforce the rules with our members and stuff. And, you know, I want, I want the rules to apply to me too. We decided that, you know, most equipment failures get down to a bow. Well, this was a target failure. No, 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 doesn't mean there was a, a, a design failure. It's just the, the arrow didn't stay in the target. So I had to reshoot day three. So for my cold bow this year, it's going to be six arrows, unless I have another target failure. There's going to be seven. But I stuck with the rules, just shooting one arrow a day. Uh, so day four was yesterday morning. And I didn't hit the vital. Go look at the video. I'm a quarter inch out. Um, it would be the equivalent to, you know, hitting, hitting the deer, you know, top of the lungs. We're just not going to count it. So right now I'm, I'm only running 50, uh, excuse me, I'm running 25%. Uh, excuse me, yesterday was day four, but it was essentially was day three. I'm running 33% on the cold bow challenge. So I really got to pick it up the next two days. So anyways, that's what the cold bow challenge is about. Um, it, it, it'll help your shooting. If you watch my film, uh, breaking the slump, you're going to see, I need some help with my shooting. And, and so I, I am trying, uh, the other new challenge we're having, uh, uh, Sam and Justin just talked about it last week on Tipsy Tuesday. Justin Crossley's our assistant editor. Uh, he's a long-range competition shooter, too. Uh, we have been toying around with a cold bore challenge for the last three or four years trying to get something together. Same concept. Where does that first bullet land out of a cold bore on a hunting rifle? So we worked together and got uh, got the rules put together. They're very similar to cold bow, um, other than you're shooting two days rather than five, because it is, we have to recognize it is harder to find a place to shoot rifles, especially long range. You know, you can't just step out, out back for most guys. Although do we do have guys on the cold bow that are traveling to shoot. We had a trad guy last year that was driving like a half an hour to shoot and did that five days in a row, shooting an hour round trip. So to shoot one arrow kind of sounds like hunting if you really think about it. But, uh, but we did, for the cold bore, it's it's two bullets. You pick your yardage. If you're under 600 yards, um, 
You, you pick your yardage, you shoot those two bullets, you're in the drawing for the prizes. And there are thousands of dollars of prizes in the cold bore. The cold bore, the 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 first the first place prize is a Swarovski ATC, their new mini spotter. We just published our second review on that on rockslide.com on the homepage. Um, Matt Cashel, our in-house reviewer who does optics. He's our, he's our best optics reviewer. Matt really is. We all go to Matt when we have questions about optics. I reviewed a ton of optics, but I'm, I can't do it at the depth that Matt can. And you'll see that in that review that we just published, the ATC. Uh, we did another one by Courtney Gordon. He was a member. We do that frequently on Rockslide. We don't just publish our our, our own staff reviews. You know, if a member can handle the English language, they've got a good test bed on a product, you know, we'll, we'll publish their reviews too. So we've got two, two reviews up on that ATC. It's scored very well, by the way. So we secured one, um, uh, paid for it with our own money, uh, worked, with, worked it out with Swarovski and, uh, you know, got a deal, but, you know, we, we still had to put some skin in the game. That's the first place prize for the cold board challenge. I mean, that's worth coming out. If there were no other prizes, that's worth coming out just for that. There's a ton of other prizes. You can go to our long range hunting forum, sub forum, rockslide.com forward slash forums. Go down to the long range forum. You'll find it. It's stuck to the top. It starts in June. It actually has not started yet. And we'll take 150 shooters on that. And, uh, and, and, and you can get drawn for that. There's tons of other prizes on there. I don't have the thread up, so I don't remember what they all are. Um, but, but that one starts in June. Uh, so the cold bore, watch for that. It's our first year doing it. If it goes over as a, as a success, we'll do it every year. And yes, by the way, I'm doing it. Now there's kind of a cool thing about the cold bore. It has a 600 yard cutoff. And so if, if you shoot less than 600 yards, you just shoot the two days and you get a name in the hat. Um, and for long-term rock slide, members that I think have over 300 posts, wherever Justin put that cutoff at, it's probably the same as the cold bow. You get an extra name in the hat because you know, we want to reward the guys that help us with our forum that are there every day. Um, you know, that, that just what helps get it out there. And so we want to reward those guys. It always pays to be a member of Rockslide. And by the way, it's free. If you're not a member, and you hear us talking about it all the time, jump over to rockslide.com forward slash forums, register on the forum. There's a little bit of a process to go through, but it's free. And then you can start joining in on the conversation and some of these challenges and all of that. But back to the 600 yards. So we got, we got uh, some proficient shooters on Rockslide that are capable beyond 600 yards, or at least they say they are. And we've come up with a way to test that too. So if you want to shoot beyond 600 yards, you have to qualify with two shots in the vital. By the way, the vital is 10 inches for the cold bore. You have to qualify with two hits on target, on vital, at, at, at 600 yards, you know, slightly less, 595, 597. Sometimes it's hard to get your target at exactly 600 yards, you know, close enough. You know, but you can't go shoot 200 and qualify for it. So you shoot two shots under 600, and then you're qualified to shoot two shots beyond 600. Now, with both the cold bore and the cold bow, you're entered in the drawings even if you miss, okay? That's the unique thing about it. It's not a contest of best shooters. It's a challenge, to a personal challenge to challenge yourself. Put a little pressure on, on, on yourself in front of your buddies, in front of your internet buddies. I realize they're virtual buddies, but man, if I go to a show and I run into somebody that has been on Rockslide for years, it's almost like we're friends. You know, we have this common thing, thing in common. Well, you start shooting on a competition, or excuse me, a challenge like this, and you have to show people it's there's pressure. Believe me, there's pressure. And so with with the with the cold bore and the cold bow, you get rewarded even if you miss, because it's all about testing yourself. Because even if you know, if I God forbid, I drop the next two arrows and I I I end up you know. Two arrows out of five for the cold bow. That's embarrassing, but at least I get to, I have something to work with. Hey, maybe 55 yards is not what I should be shooting shooting at a deer at. You know, maybe I better back it up a little bit. It gives me something to work on. Same with the cold bore. So if you shoot under 600 yards and you miss, it's fine. You're still in the drawing. But if you want to shoot longer than 600 yards, you have to hit the vital both shots pre-600. 600 yards and in just a little bit, you have to hit the vitals. Once you do, you're qualified to shoot 
beyond 600, you can pick your yardage, whatever, whatever, whatever you and that cannon can do. And this is the, the difference with the cold bow though. You have to hit those two shots in the vitals beyond 600 if you want the extra names in the hat. Okay. So I know it's kind of probably hard to follow on a podcast with a guy that talks really fast, but it's on the long range forum on Rockside. Go check it out. Cold Boar Challenge starts in early June. All the rules are there. It's a really cool concept and we think it's going to take off. So I hope to see you guys there. So that's what I have for today, but I want to have a little bonus episode here. And what we're going to start doing uh, when I when I have time and I have uh, space on the podcast, you hear me talking about my books a lot. Yeah, I want to sell books. Um, I didn't write them just so they sat on my shelf. You know, they they they, they got to pay for themselves, and it's expensive to write a book. You know, I had to hire an editor and everything. You spend thousands of dollars writing a book if you do it right. Um, and I, I've mentioned both of my books, Hunting Big Mule Deer, How to How to Kill the Best Buck of Your Life. Let's just call them HBMD. That stands for Hunting B- Big Mule Deer, okay? Uh, then it's not such a mouthful. So HBMD, How to Take the Best Buck of Your Life, that came out in 2015. And then uh, last year, 2022, HBMD, The Stories came out. That's the follow-up to it. And that one's all stories. Um, it's got some tips and tactics on the in the back, but it's, you know, it's mostly stories. The first book, How to Take the Best Buck of Your Life, is uh, the how-to, all right? So what I thought I'd start doing here is occasionally I'm going to read from the books. And, you know, everybody has asked me for years to do an audible for the books. It's kind of like this whole podcast thing. I just didn't have time. I mean, you know, to, to, to get a book out there and then, you know, that takes hundreds of hours. And then to, then to turn around and read the book all at once, you know, I think it takes like eight hours to read, read each of them. Uh, the second book may be a little bit longer because it is a longer book. Um, I, I just didn't have it in me. I just didn't have the time margins, you know, um, you know, we all have other jobs, you know, all of us on rock slide, none of us are doing that full time. You know, it takes a lot to make a living. I, I know a lot of you can attest to that. And so I just have not had time, but I thought once I got the podcast off the ground, well, I got time to do it in little chunks here. You know, I don't have to sit down and read for eight hours. And, uh, so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read you the first chapter of HBMD, how to take the best buck of your life. We're going to start with the preface. There'll be an awkward pause here, but hang on just a few seconds and we're going to go into that. Hunting big mule deer, how to take the best buck of your life. Preface. Mule deer hunting to me is more than the hunt. It's become my life in so many ways. My pleasure, my pain, my passion, my nemesis. And still it grows. I've even asked God to take it away as he pleases. But every day it's still there, calling me to the next day I'll hunt again. As I write this, I just closed the books on my 37th season of hunting mule deer. It was 24 years ago that I made the conscious decision to dedicate my life to the pursuit of big mule deer. A golden decision for me. Contained in the following pages is that journey. You will follow me into mule deer country. You will experience what I've experienced, and you will learn what I have learned. You will close this book with the skills to kill the best buck of your life. Introduction. The one that started it all. I sat in the deep snow and pulled my knees to my chest. Resting my head on my forearms, I watched the tears drip from my cheeks. I closed my eyes and began to pray. It was October 20th, 1996. Although I'd been hunting mule deer with my father since the late 70s, this was the day that mule deer hunting would truly change my life. I'd been tracking a buck that I believed was a giant I'd first seen in early August. He was a big non-typical scoring over 230 inches gross on the Boone and Crockett scale. This was the 14th day I'd hunted him. The last six days... Packed in by horseback, five miles and alone, I had hunted in the worst kind of weather, snow, sub-freezing temperatures, and at times blizzard conditions. I had cut the track not long after sunrise in some heavy aspen and conifer a few miles from my camp. My spirits lifted at the sight of the fresh, blocky track characteristic of an older, heavy-bodied buck. I checked the wind and terrain and made an educated guess on where he might be headed, and then set out after him. 
He navigated the train without exposing himself in the occasional opening where a rifleman could get a shot. Another indication he was an older buck. A half mile later, he turned north to avoid the open and skirted the top of a small, aspen-choked basin. The wind was wrong, so I climbed above the track and headed north hoping to catch him below me, unaware of his tracker. When I reached the northern rim of the basin and dropped down to check his track, I found he'd crossed the rim and headed down a 40-degree spruce-covered slope toward some finger ridges below. I figured he'd bet on those ridges for the day. I quickened my pace as I zigzagged across the track, hoping to catch him before he bedded. I reached the first bench above the finger ridges within 30 minutes. His track slowed, so I slowed too. I could see he was sneaking a few bites of the occasional browse sticking above the 10 inches of snow as he prepared to bed down. I checked my rifle, scope clear, safety free, and a shell in the chamber, and kept my eyes ahead, glancing at the track only occasionally. This hunt could be over any second if I played my cards right. I felt as alive as a man could feel. Then I saw the other tracks. Coming from the east were the fresh boot tracks of another hunter. My heart crashed into my stomach. I'd seen quite a few hunters that week. Elk season was open and most of those hunters would be carrying deer tags. I continued on watching for both hunter and buck. I'd walked only a short distance when I noticed the buck had broken into a run. It was clear that he'd heard or even seen the other hunter, whose long stride indicated he was moving way too fast to catch a buck off guard. I followed a few hundred yards farther, but I couldn't—I could see the guy had thoroughly spooked the buck. In that steep mountainous terrain, the buck would win. I'd learned too many times before that a frightened mule deer buck is nearly impossible to stay with in that type of country. He can put several miles. Eight hours of walking for a man between himself and his pursuer in just an hour or less. In this kind of weather, I could not survive the night without shelter if darkness fell and I was too far from camp to return. Crushed, I sat in the deep snow and began that prayer. I still had one day of season to hunt, but I had no strength left, as the tears on my face showed. I'd hunted mule deer for 30 days every year for the last six seasons, but had yet to kill a really big deer. I wanted to quit forever, right then and there. I asked the good Lord for strength. Drying my eyes, I stood and stared, started the hike back up and south towards the rim of the Aspen Choke Basin. Maybe by some miracle, the buck would return to his home country before I had to pack out the next day. Thirty minutes later, I stood on the rim overlooking the basin where I'd cut the track a few hours earlier. Within just seconds, I spotted a deer with my naked eye barely visible standing broadside in the aspen tangle 300 yards below me. I quickly put my old 8x42 Pentax binoculars to my eyes. Instantly, I could see it was the giant. The buck I'd been tracking all morning had been the wrong buck. I dropped onto my belly and crawled forward to clear the rise in front of me. In the brush where the buck stood, I could clearly see his incredible Boone and Crockett frame with more points than I could count within a few seconds. I had to make the shot. I steadied the crosshairs and touched the trigger on my old Seiko 7 mag. The heavy snow muffled my shot. I quickly chambered a second round and settled back on the buck. He was absolutely motionless, still standing but now staring toward me. I took a short breath, touched the trigger, and then settled again. He was gone. I watched for a while as a nervous feeling crept over me. 300 yards in hunting conditions is no chip shot, and I feared that I'd just missed the biggest deer I'd ever seen. I made my way back down into the basin trying to keep a line of sight to where the buck had been standing. Approaching the tangle, I was exhilarated to see a blood-soaked skid trail headed down the mountain. 20 yards below in some brush protruded the antler of the best buck, even to this day that I've ever seen on the hoof. I dropped onto my rear and slid down the slope. As I knelt and touched the buck I'd pursued for two seasons, I praised God for not letting me quit. That was nearly 20 years ago. As I write this now, I'm taken back to that very moment. My heart races a bit still, and there's still a tingle on my skin. That was the buck that started it all for me. It changed the trajectory of my life. I knew that day, Lord willing, I'd spend my life pursuing big mule deer. Here and now, the fire still burns. <laughs>